0: Good morning. Welcome to The Edge. My name is Brandy, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today as we continue our series called Vintage Faith, where we are taking an up-close and personal look at some of the Old Testament heroes of faith as described in Hebrews chapter 11, which is commonly known as the Hall of Faith. And these stories are meant to have relevance for us today, because they are meant to encourage us and strengthen us in our own faith journey. Because faith, biblical faith, is about so much more than just what we believe in our minds. It's so much more than just a thought process. Faith moves, faith motivates, faith activates. Faith is a deep inner persuasion that literally motivates and informs our actions. And so when God calls us to a faith. He's really inviting us into a lifestyle where we take our steps toward Him, toward His ways and His leanings so that we can be living out our purpose here on this earth. And today we're going to be finding our encouragement through a faith that we'll see not only saves, but delivers. A faith that delivers. I wonder if any of you would say that you feel stuck today, just stuck. Maybe you feel stuck in a set of circumstances, Uh, maybe a problem that you just keep circling that you just can't seem to get out of. Maybe you feel stuck in a certain thought pattern or in a relationship or stuck in the past. Or maybe if you're being honest today, you would say that you feel stuck, like in neutral, in your faith life. Maybe you've accepted Jesus and you've been walking this way for a long time, but you haven't felt really alive in your faith in quite a while. Well, we're going to see today that God is always on the move, no matter what it may seem like in the natural. And when we partner with him, our faith will not be stagnant. God wants to partner with us, not only to get us unstuck, but to get us leveled up. Because remember, when God tests our faith, it's not to punish us, but it's to grow us more and more into His likeness. James 1, 3, and 4, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its work in us, we will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. If we'll allow it, we can go to new heights and new depths with the Lord with each test of our faith. Now, until now, we've mainly focused on one character each week and looked more in-depth at those stories. But today's going to be quite different because today we're going to look at a series of events that took place, key historical events in the life of the Israelites, God's chosen people. And we're going to start to notice a real shift because the writer really picks up pace in fact if you were to sit down and read hebrews chapter 11 in one sitting this section that we're going to look at today is really the part where you notice a different type of cadence in fact it kind of reminds me of when you're listening to a song and you can just kind of feel that key change coming on and it just kind of makes you want to stand up or sing a little louder Well, that's kind of what today should feel like, because there is a victorious aspect to this. Because as we look at our stories today, we are going to see um, an overarching common thread of this faith that delivers. And we're also going to see that God is not bound by a certain type of miracle, nor is he limited to a type of person with whom he will work through. (laughs) But he chooses to partner with those of us who will have faith in Him, faith in His Word and what He says. And when we do that, we will see for ourselves that God is matchless in nature and, limit, and limitless in power. So I want you to kind of sit back with me today as we take more of a survey, more of a, of a highlight reel. We're going to take a journey with the Israelites and just be in awe of what God can do with those that will put their faith in him. Our text today, Hebrews eleven twenty-eight 28 through 31, if you'll follow along with me, it says, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, <laughs> the people, the Israelites, passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient, or some scriptures say with those who were unbelieving. That was a lot, I know. But we see here that faith is not just a one-time decision, but it is an ongoing journey. And these stories have relevance for us today. I mean, sure, we might not be crossing a literal sea, but we are certainly regularly coming to this crossroads with God where we have to decide, are we going to keep and stay where we've been, or are we going to go further and deeper with where He's calling us to go? And we may not be being pursued by a literal army, But certainly, we all have a very real enemy of our souls who seeks to destroy us. But God, (laughs) He wants us to experience, by faith, His deliverance. But deliverance from what? (laughs) And deliverance to what? Well, through observing these four stories, we are going to look at at least four types of deliverance. that that God has in store for his people. And I'm gonna refer to them as levels of faith, simply just to help us visualize and remember that when God tests our faith, he is wanting to take us from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from ever increasing faith and trust in him. So the four levels that we're gonna see today, level one, we are delivered from death to life. Level two, We are delivered from slavery to freedom level three we are delivered from lack to abundance and level four we are delivered from pain to purpose so that first level level one if you tuned in last week then you heard pastor steve touch on this at the end of his message And that would be some great background for you to tune into if you get the chance. But this first level really comes from verse 28, where it says, By faith Moses kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. This verse is referring to a time in the Israelite history where they had been held in captivity by their Egyptian oppressors for over 400 years. You may remember how God had sent the plagues upon the Egyptian people to warn them and to warn their king Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh was stubborn, and since he refused, even after all those plagues, to let God's people go, he brought about the final and the most devastating plague of all. You can read all about it in Exodus 12, but the firstborn of every Egyptian household was going to be struck down and killed at midnight. But God had a plan to keep the Israelite families safe. Until now, the Israelites didn't really have to do anything to be kept safe from the plagues that were brought upon their oppressors. But this time, there would be an act of faith and obedience required as a sign like a literal sign a profession of their faith the israelites were told to take a lamb into their care a lamb without any defect and then sacrifice that lamb taking the blood and applying it to the door frames of their homes and they were told then that the lord when striking the egyptian homes would see the blood applied to their doorframes and would literally pass over their homes, not permitting any death to come to their household. This was a night of judgment, and to some it would mean death, while to others it would mean life. For those who applied the blood of the Lamb to their home, it was life indeed, and today, this side of the cross, we know that Jesus Himself became the perfect Lamb of God whose innocent blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we would not have to suffer the impending doom and judgment and the consequence of sin, which is death. I really like how 1 Peter 1.19 sums this whole thing up. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last time for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who was raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. This is the first level, but it's also the most important because it's the thing that gives us the on ramp into our salvation. This is the thing that takes us from literal death to life. But it's also the thing that our faith hinges on. It's what we will do with the blood shed on the cross for us. How will we receive it? Will we allow it to be applied to us so that death actually passes over us and that we receive eternal life? But for so many Christians, it kind of ends up like stopping right here. There are so many Christians who have, yes, received the free gift of salvation. So they have eternal life, but their lives here on earth are relatively unchanged. And God wants to deliver us from so much more than death. He wants us to be free. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. So this is where we come to level 2, where he talks about the Israelites passing through the Red Sea. Level 2 is being delivered from slavery to freedom. So see, now the Israelites they have their family intact and now they are finally free. After all those years of oppression and slavery, they are finally free from the Egyptians. But you have to remember that for generations, they had only known slavery. So even though freedom is great, they were now in unknown territory. And you know, it's our human nature so often that we wanna go back to what we know. Even if it wasn't great, We want to go back to it because it's the comfort zone. It's what's familiar. It's what we know. And freedom for them, it was unknown and it was scary. And we often want to turn back to what we know, especially when conflict arises. And that's exactly what happens to us, too, because this is when the enemy works on us. He pursues us and he tries to wear us down, especially when we're on the cusp of experiencing new levels of freedom in Christ. And that's what happened to the Israelites because after some time, the Egyptians realized they didn't actually want to be without slaves. They weren't liking their lives so much anymore without the Israelites. So they decided to go back on the attack and they started pursuing in the desert, the Israelites. And when the Israelites realized that their old captors were on the hunt for them, they freaked out as they should have. Scripture says they were terrified, but you know what? In their terror, they cried out to the Lord. And that is exactly what we can do, too, because He not only hears, but He delivers. Scripture says, greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And He certainly showed that to the Israelites when they cried out to Him, because this is where we see the next great miracle, which is God parting the Red Sea. Just think, the Israelites were on their way out They were stepping into freedom, but their enemy was pursuing them. They were behind them, and then they reached this this crossroads. They reached this impasse, and it was impossible for them to on foot cross the sea. But what is impossible for us is always possible with God. But we have to step out toward Him. So God, He's literally calling them out into the Red Sea as He parts the sea. And here's the thing they still had to take their steps of faith. God could have just literally just magically transported them to the other side of the sea. He could have done that, but He didn't. He provided a miracle, but even within that miracle, it still required action and faith on their part. Man, sometimes I just imagine um, walking through that Red Sea with like just the giant walls of water and just how like, How awestruck, but also terrifying that that would be too. You might think at any moment, this could just like collapse and I just, I just be done. And so maybe their steps were small. Maybe their steps were shaky. Maybe they took their steps with their eyes closed. I don't know. But the important thing is they took their steps and they took their steps in the direction that God was leading them. And as they did that, their enemy was swallowed up, but it was their time to enter freedom and if we want to be delivered from sin having slavery and mastery over us then we have to be willing to leave our old ways behind you know the ways that seek to only satisfy self and to put self first and we have to walk in obedience to God allowing him to lead the way because it is where the Spirit of God is that that is where we find freedom this is not about perfection But this is about a general direction that we're going to live. And when we walk in the general direction of God's commands and His presence, we will find our next level of faith. And then we see that now that the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea, yes, they are free from sin. So they've been delivered from death and they are free from their slavery. But at the same time, they're still not living in abundance. They're not living in that promised land yet. So this is level three delivered from lack to abundance. Second Corinthians nine, eight says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's like a really st- strong statement. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of like hard to believe, like, really? I'm going to have everything I need at all times to not only just get by, but to abound in every good work. (laughs) But the key is we have to realize this is about good work. This is about God's work. This is about kingdom work. See, it's, it's one thing to be saved and delivered from death. And it's another thing to be free from those sin cycles that have mastery over us but we're free for a purpose. And the abundant life that God has in store for us is found when we choose to live our lives for Him. It's about taking who we are, uh, our passions, our skills, our experiences, our resources, and choosing to use those to build the kingdom of God here. Because see, the Israelites had crossed over the Red Sea And their enemies were swallowed up when they tried to cross the Red Sea. So the Israelites were free from their enemy. But they weren't yet living in that promised land, that place that was filled with the evidence of God's abundance and blessing on their lives. And when they get to this place, wouldn't you know it, the city of Jericho, they find that they have yet another obstacle. (laughs) The city that they're supposed to be occupying is literally walled off by this circular wall that the Bible describes was so big and so strong that literally no one could go in or out. So talk about obstacle. So they've gone through all this trouble, but now they're faced with yet another obstacle, another enemy. But isn't that kind of how life is too? It just seems like you finally get past one thing and then only to like come up against something else. I think it's so important that we remember that actually their enemy wasn't really the Egyptians. And it's not really the people that live in Jericho. We, we have an enemy, and it's an enemy of our souls. The devil seeks to destroy us, and we can't be surprised that the enemy attacks us at times, especially when our faith is being tested. Their obstacle looked huge. This wall was once again An impossibility, humanly speaking. But again, God is showing them that with him, all things are possible. And God was on their side. And he even told Joshua, who was now the one that was going to lead the Israelites into battle. God said, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. That's such a peculiar way of talking about something that actually hadn't happened in the natural. <laughs> God is telling Jericho, don't you, Or God is telling Joshua, don't you see? I have done this, but like he hadn't yet. So isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> but I really believe that God was challenging Joshua that if you want to live in this place of spiritual abundance, that you have to have the spiritual eyes to see what I see. And you have to have the belief that what I say is, no matter what your physical eyes see. And friends, we have the same choice that Joshua had. Joshua had the choice, do I believe what God said and act on it as though it is so? Or am I going to trust my own instinct, what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing? And we have that same choice today. If we want to go to that next level of faith, going from spiritual lack to spiritual abundance, then we have to see with our spiritual eyes. It's a choice. And we have to believe that if God said it, regardless of our circumstances, that it is true. And we have to remember that our battles, they're not against flesh and blood, that they are against the spiritual forces. And so we are going to have to learn to fight our battles spiritually. Because God gave marching orders to Joshua and the Israelites that were (laughs) unconventional at best. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And we will level up when we decide to trust Him beyond what we understand. Joshua, he ended up sending two spies into the land of Jericho to scope it out and to see what they were up against. And they entered this city through the home of a prostitute named Rahab. And now Rahab would end up risking her own life to provide safety and shelter to these spies and ultimately end up aiding them in conquering her own land and her own people. But why? Why would she do that? Well, because through the miracles that she had only heard about, not even seen, just heard about, she came to a believing faith in God even though she lived in a pagan-worshipping land. Listen to what Rahab told the spies in Joshua 2.9. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live here are melting in fear of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. She is placing her faith And their God, not the God that everyone else around her is worshiping. And then she goes on to ask the spies to spare her and her family's life in exchange for giving them safety. And I love that because Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. And so now the time has come and God gives his marching orders to Joshua. And it is the strangest and most peculiar military strategy you have ever heard of. He tells them to march around the city in silence for six straight days. And then on the seventh day, which is commonly known as the day of completion, they are to blast their trumpets and let out a loud shout. This isn't just any kind of shout. The real weight of that word, it's, it's, it's ruah. It actually means kind of like an alarming, like it like comes out of nowhere. You're not expecting it. It's like this alarming sound, but it's a joyful sound. It's a shout of victory. It's the kind of shout that you would expect to hear, like if you're observing a football game and and your team just scored an unexpected winning touchdown and you would just erupt in this victorious shout. Except that's a natural reaction for us to shout that way um, when a victory has just occurred. It's it's very much not a natural thing for us to do when nothing has yet occurred. But see, God is asking him to give him the praise prior to receiving the victory. (laughs) The shout of praise would precede the victory. And that shows us that even this shout of praise, even that is an act of faith. You know, sometimes our greatest act of faith is learning to praise Him, even in the midst of our battles, learning to sing to Him for joy and not from joy. Sometimes this is how we have to fight our battles, and sometimes our breakthrough. It's just on the other side of our willingness to praise Him, even in the battle. And this is exactly what happened for the Israelites, because as the sound of their praise exited their mouth and reached the ears of the Lord, the wall that stood between their place of lack and their place of abundance came tumbling down and swallowed up their enemies in the process. But they had strict orders that if they were going to live in this promised land, that they could not hold on to any idols, that God still had to be first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I wonder if this is where some of us might feel stuck in our faith today. Like like we've accepted Jesus and, and we know that we've been delivered ultimately from death to eternal life. And even though we still struggle with sin because that's just what we're going to do while we're still on this earth, maybe we would even say that we have been freed from a sin cycle or a pattern of sin that just has control over us. But maybe this is where we're stuck, where we're just in this place. Where we're just deep down. We just know that our life right now, it's not, it's just, it's not marked by the evidence of God's presence and joy in our life. If that's you... <laughs> And you don't sense that you are living in the fullness of His Spirit. I would like to present to you these potential areas that you could consider because these are the things that the Israelites had to embrace as they were entering this promised land. The first was to be strong, to be strong and courageous. The second was to follow God's commands. They had to take Him at His word and they had to be about His kingdom. The third was they had to learn to praise, even in the battle, not to keep it to themselves, but to verbalize that profession of faith. They had to learn to praise in the battle. And finally, they had to be careful that once they got there, they did not go back to their old ways. They did not go back to any other idols in this new space. They were going to keep God number one. And when we can learn to cooperate with God in this way, then we are going to be living in a place of spiritual fullness. But if we want to go to that next level, I just love the story that we're going to be ending with today because level four is going from pain to purpose. I mean, this is just like a really like mind blowing thing for us humans. Like how, how, how do we like redeem, you know, pain? And I tell you what Romans eight twenty eight. it's so commonly quoted, um, in in Christian circles, but I really want us to grab this because it says, For we know that in all things, not some things, not most things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. See, He can take our past sufferings and even our own mistakes and give them redeeming purpose. And if we ever needed proof of this, then just look at what He did For Rahab, the prostitute, in response to her faith. He not only remembered her and saved her family from destruction, but this woman, this woman who once welcomed strange men into her home for sinful reasons, is now welcoming godly men into her home and aligning with God's people. And not only that, But God then allows her to become one of them living in the promised land. And that's not the end of her story. In fact, God is rewriting her story. He is redeeming her story because now she gets to live amongst God's people in the promised land. And this is where she ends up meeting her husband. And she and her husband go on to have a baby. And as if that's not a blessing enough, that baby grows up and has a baby. And that baby grows up and has a baby. And that baby grows up. And guess what we end up realizing? That Rahab the prostitute ends up becoming the great, great grandma of King David. Rahab the prostitute is written into the messianic lineage, a foreigner with a messed up history, a life tangled up in sin. A woman with seemingly no hope for change is now grafted into the chosen family of God. And upon her profession of faith, she is not only delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, but she is now living in that place of abundance, of promised land, and she is now redeemed from a life of pain to a life of purpose and legacy proof, you guys, this is proof that our past does not define us. God does. And that our sins are not too big. That God can redeem anyone. That he sees you. That he loves you. That he forgives you. That he will set you free. That he will give you purpose even out of your pain. And that he has a plan for you because whatever edge you find yourself standing on today, if you will be willing to just take one step closer to Him, even if that step is shaky, even if you take that step maybe with your head down and you're a little wobbly, it's okay. Because if you take your step in the direction of God, then we can trust Him that we will be delivered. And we will be delivered. Ultimately, from the dark into the light.